Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We've completed now about three weeks of tracing God's plan of of salvation through the Bible. All right, we don't seem to be making much progress. We've only gotten through the first two books, Genesis and Exodus. But it covers a large period of time, and it's worth taking note here at the beginning that God is already giving us a very powerful picture uh, of his work, even in Jesus Christ already. Jesus is the, the seed of Eve who was promised would crush the servant's head. Jesus is the substitutionary lamb of God. He's the Passover lamb whose blood was shed and saves us from the angel of death on judgment day. Abraham lived about 2000 BC, Moses about 1500 BC. So let's begin by skimming quickly through another about 500 years of history to 1000 BC, which is when David lived. We go back to Moses. Pastor Raleigh last week covered how Moses and the plagues of Egypt Uh, redeemed and released to their people uh, that 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, and when which after that Pharaoh freed uh, Israel, uh, he actually drove them out of the land. Get out of here. Go. Take stuff with you. But then, not surprisingly, he changed his mind. He went after them and sought to recapture them as they were camped along the side of the Red Sea. They were blocked in. And what happened? As they're afraid, God parts those waters, allows them uh, to go out on dry land. And when Pharaoh's army followed after, he drowned them uh, in the Red Sea. From there, they travel very quickly to Mount Sinai. Uh, God was present among them, leading them in the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire at night, shading them from the sun, giving them light uh, and guiding Uh, during those cold nights. Moses goes up Mount Sinai, spends 40 days in God's presence. God gives him the two tablets, the Ten Commandments, inscribing on them uh, the Ten Commandments, regulations he gives them for worship, the design of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Uh, After that was built, God leads them uh, very quickly to the promised land. In fact, they end up in the promised land uh, in about a year, much quicker than most people think. They arrive on the border. They decide to send in the uh, 10 spies uh, who were afraid. There were 12 and only two uh, were willing uh, to trust. The rest were afraid of those mighty nations of Canaan. They didn't trust God's power They refused to enter the promised land. So in punishment, God says, you will all wander the desert for 40 years until that entire generation dies, except for faithful Joshua and Caleb. That's how they end up in the desert all those 40 years. They could have been in under a year. But as this next generation raises up, they do turn out to be much like the first. They grumble and and complain. God providing food and water kept them alive, thriving those 40 years as they grow in numbers. 
during that time that there's a mix of faithfulness uh, and complaining about God. It's so easy for us to step back and, what are they thinking? God's doing all those great things. Why are they complaining? But are we any better? We complain. Jesus provides for for all our needs. God protects us and guides us toward the promised land that we look forward to heaven. And yet, do we grumble? Do we complain? Do we fail to trust? Sadly, too often we are so much like unfaithful Israel, losing faith in God, grumbling about our hardships, we were better off in Egypt. Really? We lose sight of where God is taking us. We lose sight of the joys that await us. Can't stop but, but focusing on the small, grumblesome details of life. Well, Finally, at the end of 40 years, God brings Israel back to the Jordan River across from the Promised Land. Moses dies, giving a glimpse of that land, but not allowed to enter. God chooses faithful Joshua to lead the people across the Jordan River into Canaan. God stopped the Jordan River when it was at flood stage, parts those waters so that they could cross on dry ground. Sound familiar? Most people forget that there's actually two crossings uh, on dry ground. One is they entered the wilderness. One is they left. God was with Joshua as uh, he fought alongside Israel with miracles and angel armies to break the power of the Canaanite nations. God gives them the core of this territory to the Israelites. And God tells Israel at this time, when they grew more numerous and powerful, they were to drive out the Canaanites, taking full possession of the land that God had set aside for them. Well, Joshua dies. And sadly, after that, the Israelites disobeyed God again, failing to drive out the surviving Canaanites. Quite the opposite. They begin uh, to worship the false gods of those nations. Amazing. I mean, did they ever stop and just think, look at all those things God has done for you. Look at all of those blessings, and yet what do you begin to do? You begin to fall away again, quick to forget once again how much God has done for you. How instead they seek after the things of this world. We want to be like them. Well, anyway, since the people of Israel broke the covenant the Lord had made with them at Sinai, uh, he brought in foreign nations uh, to occupy and oppress them so that hopefully in in their misery and their suffering, they would turn back to the Lord. When they suffered uh, under those enemies, they would cry out to the Lord for relief, and God would raise up a series of judges. Now, it's not the judge who presides over a court, but a deliverer. But we hear about the word judges, the book of the Bible, judges. A judge would deliver uh, God's people. 
lead them once again. Now, when the judge died, the nations would slip back into idolatry, resulting in God bringing in other nations. They would return uh, to the ways. Another judge would be uh, raised up. And this cycle continues on and on. Now, finally, even they had got tired of that cycle, but failing to realize that their sin was the cause, they wrongly concluded that what they needed was a king. And the descendants who would permanently, they thought, deliver them. Now, God wasn't too pleased with that plan. He was their king. And you would think that God would say, fine, you're rejecting me, I'm rejecting you, I'm done with this. But not so. Even then, God loved his people. He grants their wish. He raises up Saul to be their first king. Now, God filled him with the Holy Spirit, and Saul was equipped. He was a mighty warrior. He was equipped by God with everything good uh, to be a faithful king, and he did actually start off as a very good king, faithful, humble, fighting against Israel's enemies, uh, including the Philistines. But in time... Saul, like so many people, grew proud in himself. He defied God's will, like Adam and Eve and all of those before him. He felt it was his nation to lead, not God's. And when he rejected God, God finally rejected him as king. God sent the prophet Samuel to uh, anoint a replacement king. So the Lord chose that person and led Samuel to find young shepherd boy David. David was living in a small town, Bethlehem, and it was there that Samuel anointed him king. Uh, The Holy Spirit who left Saul now filled David. So now it's about 1000 B.C. So here we are uh, in this land it was sometimes now called the, the Holy Land, but then it was that land, uh, that promised land. The war with the Philistines was continuing. Uh, David's older brothers had joined Saul's army, as was mentioned. Always nice when your wife just hits all the key points in your sermon ahead of you. Sometime later, David's father, Jesse, sent some provisions to the brothers. That was very common then. The army, uh, you fought on your own uh, and provided for yourself. So he sends supplies to his sons. David arrives in camp. He hears this booming voice coming from the Philistine side of that battlefield. Uh, That great champion, Goliath, who, yes, the Bible said, stood uh, nine feet tall. And he's standing on the other side, mocking them. Why have you come up to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose for yourselves a man. Let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
Verse Samuel says, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. This goes on for 40 days. King Saul, all of his men on the other side, terrified. None was willing to oppose him. So little boy David shows up, arrives on that 40th day. He hears the rant. David is filled with anger. No doubt the Holy Spirit prompting him. He says, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? So the soldiers who overhear David take David to King Saul, and David assures him, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant shall go and fight with this Philistine. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul's got nothing. He lets David go. He permits him. He actually offers him armor and weapons. David's a little guy. He can't even carry him. He doesn't want to carry him. They're too cumbersome, and he wasn't used to moving around in them. So he goes up just as he is, nothing but a slingshot, a pouch of those five smooth stones that he took from the brook nearby. Four extra. He only needs one. Goliath sees this young Israelite coming toward him. He despises him. He mocks David. David answers him with great courage and faith. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down. David took that stone, put it in the sling, swings it around and around with full speed. It finds its mark. Striking him in the forehead, he collapsed to the ground without a sound. David rushed up and killed him with his own sword. After Saul died, David does indeed become king of Israel. God promised in wonderful wonderful terms, that one of his descendants would be that great promised Savior, who his kingdom would last forever without end. So as God uses David, David's courageous battle against Goliath gives us that another glimpse of Jesus' great mission as he went to the cross on Good Friday to defeat sin and death, God's ultimate enemy. Well, as one of my great preaching professors once said, so what? So, so, so what does this little boy, David, have to do with us living today in 2022 in central Florida? 
What does this kid in the stones and Goliath have to do for our daily life? Well, let me ask, what are you afraid of? What's that enemy that you're struggling to defeat? Or even struggling simply to face? What is that sin that you simply can't conquer? What is the temptation that overcomes you? What's your Goliath? Is it alcohol? Anger? Pornography? Materialism? Pride? Envy? Are you not trusting God in some area of your life? As you face that giant... Why are you afraid? Why are you struggling? Why do you feel so defeated before you've even tried to fight the battle? We all have our Goliath. David came into battle carrying nothing but that sling and the pouch of stones. Jesus carried a cross. And on that cross, David's greater son sank his foot into that serpent's head, inflicting a blow every, as lethal as David's stone that sank into Goliath's forehead. Jesus defeated Satan delivering you from his power. That victory he gives by grace to you. You win. As you face those struggles in life, as you face those seemingly overwhelming challenges, know you win. You are victorious. Just like David was a shepherd king defending Israel from the enemies and ruling injustice, Jesus Christ is our good shepherd and king. He provides for us, protects us, forgives us, leads us safely toward our eternal home. You and I are part of Jesus' kingdom. On Jesus' return, he'll restore his creation, establish his kingdom on earth, and that new heaven with great power and glory. So what enemy is too big for God? Nothing. God wins. The outcome is certain. That same confidence that David had can be yours. 
Approach your enemy with that same faith, with that same trust, knowing that your God is bigger than anything you will ever face. The victory is already his. You win in Jesus. May God allow you through his power and his grace to face your enemies in his victory. In Jesus' name, amen.